Welcome to the 82nd episode of the Headkit KO Podcast. Today we are here to discuss UFC 279. And this is going to be probably a long discussion about UFC 279. I think there's a lot of topics and fights that are very discussion worthy. And before we talk about the fights, I'm also going to give my opinion on the opponent changes and um, kind of all the stuff that happened last week at UFC 279 uh, because I didn't do a preview like I originally planned. Um, I uh, was getting ready to record the preview and um, Hamzat missed weight and they were talking about moving all the fights around and I didn't really want to sit and talk about hypotheticals. Um, and, you know, if this person fights this person, if this happens, if so-and-so fills in, I didn't really want to do that. Um, I don't think that's very constructive. It's fun in the moment, but in terms of like me recording an episode and then putting it out, it could, all the information could already be out or changed. Um, and by the time the information was out, uh, it was a little late for me to get an episode out before the fight. So that's why there was no preview. But regardless, um, we'll talk about some of those things now um, alongside the fights. And then once we're done with that, I'll also do a quick run through of Sandhagen versus Song Yedong, which will take place next week. Um, so to get us off at the top of UFC 279, obviously Nate Diaz, Tony Ferguson. So to start us off with um, my opinion on the opponent change, I, uh, I loved it. Right. If you asked me before, you know, you could ask me two weeks ago and I would have told you I would have rather see Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson. That fight felt like a closer matchup, a more interesting matchup. Um, the betting lines reflected that with that being between, you know, minus 150 and, you know, even money or um, let, me re let me rephrase that. Nate was around plus 100 to plus 150, 155 um, throughout the week in comparison to him being at plus 650, 700, plus 800, depending on where you looked. Um, so I think that reflects um, exactly how much closer this fight was. And at the end of the day, I prefer to see competitive fights. Um, so I think this was a good example of that. And then in the fight itself, um, Nate Diaz looked good, right? He didn't look like tremendous, you know, but he had a lot of the same traits. And you see traits that stick around from fight to fight. And I don't think a lot of those traits wore down, right? He still showed his really good boxing, his good one-two. Um, that was still present. I don't know that, that one-two will ever fade. And if that one-two is no longer available for Nate Diaz, that will be the sign when it's time to hang it up. As long as Nate Diaz can still throw that one-two, he should keep fighting. Um, but that was on point. The boxing looked good overall. And then when Tony did take it to the mat, he capitalized in a spectacular fashion as he landed a submission there. Nate historically has really good submissions off his back, and we haven't seen those in a while. Um, his last submission finish was a submission finish over Conor McGregor in 2016, 2016, I think that was. I believe that was 2016. Regardless, it was a long, long time ago. Now, 
Um, to see him get another submission, poetic. Um, have it be a, a submission off his back where that's kind of... The submissions off Nate's back where the bread and... I don't want to say the bread and butter, but that was some of the more memorable moments of his early UFC career. Um, the triangle chokes off the bottom. Things like that when he flipped double birds... Um, well, he's got the dude in a triangle choke. Those are all, you know, really, really memorable Nate Diaz moments. Um, so I think it was poetic to see that against Tony. And for Tony, I don't think he really looked that great. And that pains me to say because I am a massive Tony Ferguson fan. Um, but he didn't really look that good, right? Um, he did some good things. Things in isolation, Right, he he threw some good leg kicks, um, but he he really struggled to land to the head. I thought he had the a good beginning of round three, but I think that started to crumble later in that round, um, and I think he lost the first two rounds, um, and he got hit several times. Several times, I was thinking, oh wow, Nate might be able to, you know, put something together here and get a finish. Um, I was never like, oh my god, he's he's wobbled, he's hurt real bad, but I was like. Oh, wait a second here. Is he? Nate's starting to land some shots. It looks like that hurt him. Um, and, you know, that's that's really tough to see because, you know, even when he's, like, turning his back, that doesn't feel natural, right? I know nothing Tony Ferguson does is natural, but that seems out of a, like, it's coming out of a place of I don't want to get hit. Um, and I wasn't a fan of seeing those things and um we'll, we'll discuss tony first um in terms of what is next i don't i don't really want to see tony fight again you know especially at the 155 pound and 170 pound divisions i'm not really you know convinced that he beats a lot of 170 pounders um, after that fight, I said to myself, it's a good thing he didn't fight Li Jingliang. Um, you know, I understand that if you're Tony, you can make the argument that, well, I was, you know, coming into a fight on short notice. I, I wasn't prepared properly for Nate Diaz as an opponent. Uh, but you could also say the same thing for Nate Diaz, right? You could say Nate Diaz likely trained a lot of wrestling in preparation here. Um, his boxing probably wasn't as crisp as it would have been if he knew he was fighting Tony. So those elements, I think, kind of don't matter because I think they neg negatively affected each fighter to the same degree. So I don't think that's really a appropriate response to losing. But um, back back to like Tony at 155 or Tony at 170, I mean... Can he beat ranked opponents? Uh, I'm not really convinced. If you look at 155, fights against Demir Ismagulov, Dan Hooker, Jalen Turner. You know, those are your 13 through 15 guys um, in the rankings. And I'm not, I don't want to see Tony fight Jalen Turner. I think that's a really scary fight. Um, I think a fight of Dan Hooker versus Tony Ferguson would be a relatively similar fight to the stand-up portions that we saw of Nate versus Tony, um, where, you know, Dan Hooker would look to be the much better striker and hurt him and probably 
um, eventually land a finish. Um, if you're looking at 155, you're looking at Neil Magny at 13. I guess that's not a terrible matchup, but I think Neil Magny would probably hold him down in a similar fashion to Benil Daryush. Um, if you're looking at Li Jingliang at 14, I already said, I, I, um, I'm not confident in Tony in that fight. If you're looking at Michelle Pajeda at 15, I think that's like uh, that's a fight where if it were prime Tony Ferguson, prime Tony Ferguson versus Michelle Pajeda would be a very, very intriguing matchup. But current version of Tony Ferguson versus Michelle Pajeda, I think is a very scary matchup. Um, even if you wanted to go a little bit higher, Shavkat Rachmanov versus Tony Ferguson, that's a really scary matchup. Um, even if you want to book him against some guys who are a little bit older in the top 15 at welterweight, you're looking at Wonderboy at 7 and Jorge Masvidal at 9. I think those are all scary matchups for Tony. So I'm not sure that Tony, if you were to, if you were to fight right now, anybody ranked in the top... 15 at lightweight or welterweight i'm not sure that there's a single opponent there that he beats unfortunately like i said i'm a massive tony ferguson fan and it really pains me to say that and i'm not saying that to be rude or poke fun at tony um i think in tony's prime he was the best lightweight on the planet i think in tony's prime he has a good shot at beating Charles Oliveira. I think at Tony's prime, I think he beats Dustin Poirier. I think he beats Gaethje. I think he beats Michael Chandler. I think he beats Benil Daryush. Um, I'm not sure about Islam Makhlchev. I haven't really decided what my opinion is on Makhlchev because I'm, I'm, I have reasons to be skeptical about his fight style and there's re things I love about his fights. So um, I, I don't even need to go down that road, but you get what I'm saying, right? You get the point that I'm making, that prime Tony Ferguson, um, there's a good chance that he would be able to be the lightweight champion with the current state in the division. Now, um, that's not saying he would 100%, but he at a minimum has a strong chance and he would be a guy in the top five. Um, but it happens in every sport and it happens, you know, it's the least forgiving when it happens in MMA, but there's a time where you can see where an opponent or when a when an athlete has aged to a point where they're not the same anymore. Um, if you watch other sports, you know another great example is when a quarterback doesn't have the same arm strength. Ben Roethlisberger last year, for example, his arm you know didn't have the same pop it once did, um, and you know that you know at the end of the day that. Um, he wasn't good enough to continue playing in the NFL. Um, the problem is with fighting, um, there's nobody looking over you that makes you stop. You know, you know. I'm sure Ben Roethlisberger had conversations with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they probably said, "Hey, man, you know, we don't think you're good enough to be a starting caliber quarterback anymore. We need to find a younger replacement um, because that's the NFL is a business. The fight game is also a business, right?" But the business is run differently. It's not one team looking to win the most amount of games and make the most amount of money. It is, you know, an organization looking to make the most amount of money, right? And if you're the UFC and you're, if you're Tony Ferguson, you know, 
the UFC doesn't have to cut Tony Ferguson because he's not performing well enough. They can. Don't get me wrong. They can, but they don't have to. They're not obligated to do that, um, but they can do that. At the same time, even if the UFC does cut Tony Ferguson, he can keep fighting, right? He can, you know, go and, and fight in a, in a Bellator, possibly, if they were interested, fight in a... Um, one championship if they were interested, fight in a PFL if they were interested. So, you know, just because the UFC would be out of the Tony Ferguson business, that doesn't mean that Tony Ferguson's out of the fight business. But um, what, I, what I'm saying here is I, I do think it's time for Tony Ferguson to retire, right? And what I'm saying is is that no one can make that decision besides Tony Ferguson. Um, and it's not an easy decision to make by any means. Um, and I and I don't really particularly enjoy sitting up here and, and saying these things. And I know this has actually gotten quite long of a discussion about Tony. Um, but um, I, don't, I don't like sitting here and saying these things about fighters that need to retire. Um, especially about fighters that I really, really really enjoy Tony Ferguson is one of my favorite fighters all time um probably top three fighters all time right for me in terms of my personal enjoyment so I'm not sitting here as someone who incredibly hates Tony Ferguson but I'm sitting here as someone who doesn't like what I'm seeing in the fights in the octagon and I'm someone with an emotional interest in seeing Tony Ferguson perform well because I like Tony Ferguson um, and with that being said, I'm not sure that I particularly want to see him continue going through the same, you know, fight over and over again. But I do think that Tony Ferguson should get uh, uh, the legend send off, right? Uh, I think that was a good opportunity to have that last night against Nate Diaz. I think that if he would have left his gloves in the octagon against Nate, I think it would have been the best time to do that and make that decision. Um, so I hope that the UFC comes to Tony with a, a fight that can justifiably, we, we can see that outcome, right? Possibly a Jim, a Jim Miller, maybe. I thought the way that Donald Cerrone went out against Jim Miller, even though he did not win, I thought that that was a good way to go out, right? You know, for Tony, it doesn't have to be Jim Miller, but someone of that status, and you understand the type of fight that I am uh, saying Tony Ferguson should have next. Um, one more legend where he can leave his gloves in the octagon and um, not do it anymore, right? Um, but I think ultimately the best decision would be to be retired right now. I don't necessarily think he should fight again, but I think if he does, it should be one last send-off against the UFC legend. Um, and that's kind of where I stand on the Tony Ferguson ground. Um, one last thing I will say is I, I do not want to see the UFC cut him um, because I would like to see the UFC understand who Tony Ferguson is as a person, right? Um, I, I don't think it's in Tony Ferguson's best interest to be cut, not because he wouldn't be in the best organization in the world anymore, but because he can he could then be used um, by other promotions that are looking to 
build their promotional name or their value off Tony Ferguson's name. I think, you know, what Tony Ferguson has given to the UFC, um, I think they should keep him under the umbrella and matchmake for him in a way that um, I don't want to say is beneficial, but beneficial to his health, where they're not giving him, which I don't know if they'll do that. You know, I don't, I hope they do. Um, but been a, or match matchmaking a way that you know won't 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 do too much damage long term. Well, he realizes that he needs to retire. Once again, matches like Jim Miller are are good examples of that, right? Don't give him Pereira. Don't give him Jalen Turner. Don't give him Shavkat Rachmanov. Don't give him you know Jorge. Don't do those things. Um, so I, I think that's where I stand on Tony Ferguson to wrap up that long kind of tangent. Um, now for Nate Diaz, um, I'm not sure what to do with Nate Diaz, right? Um, he didn't look terrible. He It sounds like he wants to go box. So I'm not really privy to the world of boxing, right? I'm not a boxing fan. I know probably 15, 20 boxers maybe. Maybe. Um so I'm not even going to speak on Nate Diaz potential boxing matches because I'm not privy to, you know, what would make sense for him over in the world of boxing. Um, but I, I do think there are elements of Nate Diaz that are still, you know, I still think Nate Diaz can win fights at this point. Um, I think if he chooses to continue in Real Fight Inc. and only fight under that umbrella, he could realistically match make against guys like Tony. You know, maybe he pulls Donald Cerrone out of retirement. You know, if he's just fighting like one-offs against like guys of, of that-esque, like a Pettis, if Pettis stays, doesn't stay in the PFL. Um, I think things like that would make sense for Diaz um, over in Real Fight. I, I don't really know exactly what I want to see out of Nate Diaz. I think it's really interesting. Um, but whatever whatever we do see from Diaz, it probably won't be in the UFC, but I, I still will be very interested. Now, now that that's in the books, we're going to move to Hamzat Maya versus Kevin Holland. Um, this matchup was kind of made, you know, off the whim, just off the fact that Kevin Holland and Daniel Rodriguez had a catchweight bout scheduled for 180 pounds. Hamzat Chimaev misses weight. And it moves him to being eligible to fight in that 180 slot. Um, but he cannot fight Nate Diaz. I think he could technically based off like if Nate Diaz accepted. But if you're Nate Diaz, that's not something that you'd be interested in doing. Because instead you could fight Tony Ferguson, right? The writing was on the wall. Hey, if you say no to Chemayev, you will get Tony Ferguson. I think that's a fairly simple decision. And it paid out well for him. Now... Prior to the fight, right? Let's talk about everything before the fight, and then we're going to talk about the fight here um, for Chimaev and Holland. Prior to the fight, uh, Hamza Chimaev did some not-so-great things for his career. I think, you know, first off, in chronological order, order will go. He shows up and gets punked by Paulo Costa, right? He shows up with 10 dudes to Paulo Costa's training session with Jake Shields, starts talking crap to him, and then he has to have his 10 friends hold him back, and then 
Um, Paulo says, here, come here, fight me. I'm stand I'm literally standing in an octagon. Just come in here, come in here and we can fight. And he has his 10 friends, hold him back, right? If that wasn't Hamzat Chumayev, everyone would be saying, you know, calling that guy a loser, right? You see that guy all the time, right? There's always dudes who want to act tough and they just have their buddies hold them back. Hold me back, bro. Hold me back. Hold me back. That's what Hamzat Chumayev did to Paul Acosta. He pulled up on him. And then pulled the, oh, I got to have people hold me back because I'm going to come after you. It's like, well, it's like you obviously weren't interested in the scrap. Why did you show up then, right? Um, and then he does cause a, a scrap backstage with Kevin Holland. We don't know how that went. We do know it was started between Chumayev and Holland. And then um, the Diaz bros pulled up and, and instigated it further, right? We do not know. All the details, we got about 30 seconds of clips that included Hamzat Jumayev saying, you're a fake gangster. It included Kevin Holland saying, you're not about that life, kid. And it included Nate Diaz throwing water bottles. Now, that might be the least informational thing that you could possibly get out of that brawl in that situation. Because I could have told you that, right? It's like, hey, if you say, hey, Kevin Holland, Hamzat Jumayev, and Nate Diaz are involved in a scuffle. What are some things that you could possibly hear or see? Nate Diaz chucking water bottles is up there. Hamzat Chumayev calling people fake gangsters like he has been for the last four months is up there. Kevin Howling saying you're not about that life. You know, probably the least predictable out of the three. But I, I don't think it's, you know, anything too crazy in terms of odds or predictability. Um, so... The UFC knew what they were doing when they released the footage. They released the least surprising of the footage. Um, so we don't really know exactly what happened. So I won't chalk this up to all being Chumayev's fault. But it was an issue. And it was centered around Chumayev. Um, and then he comes in and he misses weight by 8 pounds. And they have to reconstruct this whole card. Those are things you just cannot do, right? You go from having an opportunity to fight Nate Diaz. Two, having an opportunity to fight Kevin, or excuse me, Nate Diaz in a pay-per-view main event. Or you can fight Kevin Holland in the co-main event. Which one do you think is more beneficial to a career, right? You are probably, like most people, going to answer by saying the Nate Diaz headliner fight. Wow, it wasn't that difficult of a question. Congrats, you were correct. Um, now... Obviously, um, he ends up fighting Kevin Holland, and he does win, but it doesn't matter if you win, because if you Google UFC 279, actually, I will do it right now. If you'll Google UFC 279, let's see what pops up first, and the internet's slow, but the first thing that pops up is Nate Diaz submits Tony Ferguson in vintage fashion video of Nate, or picture of Nate. UFC 229 takeaways. Nate Diaz teases as he leaves. Um, well, Chumayev, dot, 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 can't see the rest. You see Elrene Aldana. You see Nevada State Athletic Commission investigating the brawls. You see um, Aldana again. You see um, the Johnny Walker thing about him being kicked out of the arena. And you see... Um, Nate Diaz again. Right, so what are we learning here? 
these the headlines at the end of this are not Hamzat Chumayev's name, right? Hamzat Chumayev did some good things, but at the end of the day, the stole the show was stolen by Nate Diaz, and he could have had an opportunity to not have that happen. He could have beat Nate Diaz and stole all the headlines. Instead, he misses weight and doesn't get that opportunity. And um, at this point, it doesn't matter anymore. But he lost out on that opportunity because he came in overweight. So, once again, not great. Um, and now to the fight itself. Um, this fight, I think, was a much, you know, I think Nate Diaz was a very easy stylistic matchup for Hamzat Chumayev. I do think Kevin Holland was also a very easy stylistic matchup for Hamzat Chumayev. Um, in addition to that, I, I do think that Kevin Holland was slightly more challenging because I do think his BJJ is probably better at this point. Um, I, I know Nate is a high-level black belt, but outside of last night, we haven't really seen you know his ground game for a while. And I think Kevin Holland's been a little bit more active in implementing his jiu-jitsu into his fights. Um, because he's also a black belt. Nate and Kevin are two of the most underrated Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts in the game. Um, but, you know, Kevin Allen comes out to do a glove touch, and Hamzat Chimaev attempts a takedown. Now, that's, it's like, come on, man. After everything you did this week, you're going to add it, you're going to add on to it by doing that? It's like, It's a lot, here's what I'll say. It's a lot harder to defend a takedown when your hands in the air like this. Go watch any college wrestling match. I guarantee you, you never see a guy walking around the wrestling mat with his hand above his head like this. Because it's a terrible way to defend a takedown. And when Hamzat Chumayev does get in deep on this, you know, I believe it was a double leg. His wrestling, <laughs> his wrestling didn't really impressed me that much um I thought Kevin Holland was doing some really really good work in defending those takedowns um Hamza Chumayev was able to get two double underhooks and Kevin Holland did some good work getting the overhooks and you know creating some separation and he attempted a couple of I believe they were Granby rules um, I haven't rewatched the fight. I believe there were Grambies, but he was rolling around and he was doing a really good job of staying out of some damaging positions. Eventually, Chumayev does get the takedown, is on top, but he isn't really able to stay there. They scramble again, but when he's scrambling, Chumayev does a really good job of landing the Darsh choke. Um, now, in terms of recapping this fight and assessing Hamza Chumayev's skills, I'm much lower on his wrestling, right? I'm much lower on his wrestling. He he wasn't really able to take down Gilbert Burns either, right? He showed some struggles in that aspect in terms of getting that fight to the ground against Kevin Howland. He didn't excel in the wrestling, but I am higher on his jujitsu. I am higher um, in that department. So I do think he is a little bit more well-rounded than he's, he's given credit for, but I don't think he's as dominant of a wrestler. Um, but but I do think on the opposite side of that, I think he is a little bit more well-rounded. And I think his jujitsu is a little bit better um, than I thought it was prior. 
So I'm not sure that I'm lower on his stock because I didn't think his wrestling was as good as I thought it was. But I, I do think it's kind of my opinion of Chimaev has slightly shifted, right? I didn't see a performance like the commentary team talked about how Chimaev just took Kevin Holland down and, and ragdolled him and tossed him around. I don't think that is necessarily true or an accurate representation of that. I saw someone wrestling at a very high pace, and I saw some very competitive wrestling scrambles. I thought Kevin Holland did some really good things. Um, ultimately, the front choke got it done. And I think if that fight goes later, I don't think there's any chance that Hamzat Chimaev can fight at 50% of that pace for five rounds, right? It's it's impossible for anyone to do that. But Hamzat Chimaev doesn't really have that great of a gas tank. I think that if that fight goes two and a half more minutes, you know, eventually... Hamzat Chimaev was going to hit a wall, um, and he was starting to show some signs of some heavy breathing prior to that darsh choke. Ask yourself, why did Hamzat Chimaev go for the darsh choke? Why, did, why do you think? Do you think it's because it was just sitting there, or you know, there have been other other op- there have been other opportunities in his UFC career to attempt that, and he never has. Why did he throw up a front choke? which that type of submission doesn't really have as high of a success rate in the UFC as like a rear naked choke, which he usually does. He usually advances position, gets that rear naked choke, and gets that finish. Um, Personally, I I think you could make an argument that it was because he was running low on stamina and was hunting that finish because he knew he needed to get a finish soon. I think of that fight, if Kevin Holland's able to get out of that, obviously he didn't, but I think if Kevin Holland is able to get out of that and get that fight back to the feet, I think that he would start doing some good work, right? I think Chimaev was going to tire a lot quicker than Holland. Um, and all in all, I'm not sure that Chimaev can employ that game plan consistently against a lot of opponents at 170 or at 185. Um, looking at what's next for Chimaev, if he fights at 170, right? 170 is interesting. I think he can do some really good things at 170, but can he make 170? Does the UFC trust him to make 170? If the answer is yes, he can do some good things at 170. Because when you're looking at the top of that division, he's probably would he probably would fight Colby Covington next. Colby Covington would do very good in terms of defending against his wrestling. He would. The the issue is, is that. Chimaev's a lot bigger than him. Chimaev's one of the biggest 170-pounders. Colby Covington's one of the smallest. Look at Gilbert Burns versus Chimaev. Look at that size difference, right? That was one of the reasons that Chimaev was able to find so much so much success in that fight. If you watch that fight, there were a lot of times where Chimaev was very close to getting hit. And Gilbert Burns was very close to landing a lot of really big counters. But he was just a couple inches too short. He just wasn't able to get in inside the pocket well enough. And he wasn't able to make up on that range deficit. Obviously, for that fight, that's credit to Hamzat Chumayev. The issue is those skills and that issue isn't transferable um, to 185 pounds, right? You're not going to find that at 185 pounds, but you can continue to find that at 170 if you're fighting guys like Colby Covington. Or Colby Covington would probably do well at defending against that grappling. He's a good wrestler. I'd be interested to see if he's able to keep up in the BJJ department like Gilbert Burns was. Gilbert Burns, 
and Colby Covington, both very good defensive grapplers. Colby's is going to be against that wrestling a little bit better. Chimaev, or Burns is going to be against that BJJ a little bit better. So I'd be interested to see if Colby could get that early submission. But um, on the feet, right, Chimaev's going to be a lot longer. He's going to be able to walk him down. He's going to be able to do some good things. I think that's an interesting matchup, but I think Chimaev's able to win that fight because of his size, right? I don't know if I'd pick him today right now, but I know for a fact he has a chance and a good chance. Um, and that's probably the only fight for him at 170 that's not a not a title shot because he's already beat Gilbert Burns, right? So now he's just looking at Colby, Camaro, and Leon in front of him. Camaro and Leon fight. And then you got Colby sitting there. Easy math. Um, but continuing to 185, if they make him fight at 185, I'm not sure how good he does. Honestly, um, a lot of people say, oh, well, he can be Izzy because of the stylistic matchup, right? And that's actually true. I do believe that. I think that there's a case to be made that Hamza Chimaev has a better chance of beating Israel Adesanya than he does Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker absolutely dismantles Hamzat Chumayev on the feet, right? The striking between those two is not even close. Not even close. Robert Whitaker probably could defend against takedowns, right? At least at a sufficient level, right? If And here's the thing. You don't have to defend against those takedowns for 25 minutes. He goes hard for four minutes and then gets tired, right? So Whitaker... Probably could defend against some takedowns. For if he if he can defend the takedowns for three minutes, I'd say yes. Then if it's just purely striking, Robert Whitaker stunts on him all day. Jared Cannonier stunts on him all day on the feet. Very strong, could defensively grapple. Uh, Marvin Vittori, I think he does good in the defensive grappling part department. And I'm not sure that Marvin Vittori is some otherworldly striker, but he would you know be able to but you know at the same time Shemayev isn't either um Alex Pereira similar to Izzy where you know he could probably just take Pereira down um Brunson you know Brunson's the opposite of some of these guys where he does have the good enough takedown defense probably to keep this fight standing but then you do you have to worry about Derek Brunson striking which is not something I would hang my hat on Paulo Costa he probably gets worked by Paulo Costa there's going to be a big size difference there, right? Paul Costa is going to be much, much bigger. And if they're striking at all, Paul Costa is going to hurt him badly. Sean Strickland probably gets taken down. You know, um, Jack Romanson, probably not a good enough striker. Darren Till gets taken down. So from my count, there's one, two, three, four guys in the top six that I think have a really, really good shot of beating Chimaev, right? You can't say the same thing for 170. So I th- what, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you, what I'm trying to tell you is that if they make Chimaev move up to 185, he's not going to be as good of a fighter as many people credit him to be right now. The the skills are, there. there's better stylistical, or okay, there are guys at... 185 pounds that from a skill standpoint do match up with Shemaev better. And it's not the defensive grappling of guys like Colby and Burns, right? That's what you have at 170. But the size 
defensive grappling and striking prowess, I think, are the three things you need. And I think there's more guys at 185 pounds that bring those three things. Size, defensive grappling, and striking. At least a better level of striking than Jemayev. Those are the three things you need to beat him. And I see those three things at 185 pounds. So, um, if he is booked to fight Whitaker, Kenanier, Vittori, Costa, all very likely matchups. If he does move up to 185, I would probably bet on the other person at plus money. I assume that fight would be plus money for whoever is fighting Chimaev. So um, keep that in mind. That was more of a rant. This this episode has gone off the rails, but we're going to embrace it. Um, it has gone off the rails just like UFC 279 went off the rails. Um, so I guess it's kind of poetic and makes sense. Daniel Rodriguez versus Lee Jingliang, the last of the three big fights. Um, poor Lee Jingliang, man. Poor Lee Jingliang. I mean, this guy is so excited to go to the press conference because he's got a brand new suit that he wants to show off. What happens? Press conference gets canceled of no fault of his own. Lee Jingliang is the one guy where you're like, who got into a scrap at the press conference? Before anyone knew who started the scrap, have you said who got into a scrap at the press conference between the six guys at the press conference? Your answer would have been, well, definitely not Li Jingliang. And then, he's supposed to fight Tony Ferguson. And, as we've discussed, he probably beats Tony Ferguson quite badly. Does he get to fight the aging legend? No, he gets to fight Daniel Rodriguez, a guy who weighed in at 180. Will he weigh in at 170? It's like, come on, really? And then, he looks great in the fight. In my opinion, wins at least two rounds. Maybe three. I, I stop scoring fights because I think it's um, not fun. To, to It like takes the fun out of watching fights. Regardless, I'm like, he won at least two of those three rounds. Daniel Rodriguez gets his hand raised. And I'm like, well, let me think about this. And I think about it. And I'm like, I think Li Jing Liang by a score of 30-27, is way more reasonable than Daniel Rodriguez winning by a score of 29-28. And I checked on the trusted verdict app, because verdict, shout out verdict, um, community scores, tells you what the average people think about a fight being scored. Um, all three rounds, people had in Li Jingliang's favor. One was very, very close, but the other two were relatively wide margins, Judges get it wrong. Um, Li Jingliang essentially got screwed very badly this week, but I think in turn he got a lot of fans out of it. I know in Li Jingliang's next fight, I will probably be rooting for him. Who should Li Jingliang fight next? Next, this is a relatively simple question and answer. Um, he's currently ranked 14th. He probably undeservedly will fall out of the rankings, but. I think he should get another ranked fight against number 15, Michelle Pejeda. Pejeda versus Jing Liang. Fun fight. Who says no? Um, let's book that fight. Um, we're going to go a little bit quicker now, okay? Because we're already 40 minutes deep into this episode. That's not good. Um, Irene Aldana got a good upkick knockout to the liver of Macy Chazon. This is up there for... Um, one of my favorite knockouts. Um, I don't know how to categorize it because I'm not like 
you know, I'll never think it's better than Corey Sanhagen throwing a flying knee against uh, Frankie Edgar, right? Um, I'll, I'll never say it's better than Barbosa throwing a spinning heel kick. But there is something that, you know, there is something that hits me here where it's like, wow, that's really cool. Because it's like, in those positions, I'm never like, oh, just throw an up kick to the lever and knock her, and knock her out. I think there's an element of surprise and, oh my god, what just happened, that makes that a really interesting finish. And um, shout out to Irene Aldana for that. One of the more powerful fighters at that 135-pound weight class, weight class knocked out Ketlin Vieira cold with a check hook. Um, so credit to Irene Aldana. I think that she is in a really good spot at 135 pounds because she's got that win over Aldana. She is currently ranked four. Win over number two. I don't know how they're going to book this division. She already fought Holly Holm. She already fought Count Vieta. Um, I'd like to know how they book this division. I think it's very, very dumb to do Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunes three. I think that is stupid and doesn't make any sense because Nunes, <clears throat> because Nunes just beat the absolute crap out of Juliana Pena. Um, with that being said, if Nunes does not fight Shevchenko, I think they do Nunes versus Vieira. And then we can do Pena versus Aldan. I think that's the way to go for their next fights. Um, Chazone... Um, just outside the top 10 now. Um, the top 10, and, or those those 10 to 15 slots in the female band on weight division look rough. Um, but we can do Norma Dermont. She got a good win on Saturday. Macy Gizone lost, so book them up now. Johnny Walker, great submission of Ian Kute Laba. Um, shout out to Johnny Walker for getting back in the win column. Always like to see Johnny Walker win. I think he is a cool guy to have around. I don't think he's going to be a championship level fighter. I don't view him as that. But I think he's a guy that um, I have a lot of respect for. And someone who is like, oh, Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker's always been cool. Every time you see him, he's doing his best to be positive. It's like, there's, there's a, Johnny Walker's just a cool guy. Like, if you walked up to Johnny Walker in the street and asked Johnny for a, a picture... He'd be so cool about it. That's the type of guy Johnny Walker is. So it's nice to see him have a nice performance in there. I'm not sure what to do with Johnny Walker next, right? I think you do need to take it slow, right? I think more guys of Ian Laba's status. Not bad fights. I think Jimmy Crute makes a lot of sense for Johnny Walker moving forward. So that is um, a, a good option now. Um for Kutalaba, he's going to be just outside those 100 or 205 pound rankings, excuse me, and I cannot remember the guy's name, but I know exactly who Kutalaba should fight, um, crap, why can't I remember his name, very good prospect that just beat Devin Clark in convincing fashion, knocked Devin Clark out, what's his name, load, 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 and I'll tell you, um, Sorry, I should know this off the top of my head, but I can't remember his name. Azamat Mirzakhanov. Mer, 
I can get Azamat right, but we got to work on the Merzakhanov. We got to work on getting the last name Flo. That's a, that's a name I got to get right because uh, he's going to be in the top 15 for a while, Azamat Merzakhanov is. And um, Ian Kutilava, I think, is a good fight to take um, to kind of prep yourself for the top 15. I think that Kutelaba probably lands somewhere in the 15 to 20 spot right now. Um, I guess Devin Clark does too, but um, Kutelaba beat Clark. So I think um, you go Kutelaba and then rankings if you win. I think that would make sense for Azamat Mirzakhanov. Now, um, we're going to only get quicker and quicker as we move further through this card. Hakeem Dawadu lost to Juliana Rosa. I was really high on Hakeem Dawadu. He's one of my favorite unranked fighters. Um, really like Dawadu. Always gets in entertaining scraps. And, you know, it just wasn't his night this night. I didn't think, I don't think we saw the best version of Hakeem Dawadu. And I think we saw one of the better versions of Juliana Rosa. I think the weight cut kind of, you know, played with Dawadu a little bit, but Julian Rosa fought well, so credit to him. Jelton Almeida submitted Anton. And, you know, who, this is really what everybody expected. I think the question was, is Jelton Almeida going to knock him out? Um, well, TKO. Is Jelton Almeida going to land a TKO, or is he going to submit him? I think that was the question. Um, Jelton Almeida will be fighting in the top 15 and was supposed to fight Shamil Abdurakhmanov, um, but that fight fell through. Um, that was also the last, uh, or excuse me, that was the first time I've said Shamil's last name on the podcast, so pat myself on the back. Look at that. We're getting better out here. Um, quickly roll through the rest of this card. Dennis Tululin looked very good against Jamie Pickett. Um, I think he deserved to get the points taken away. Hey, at the end of the day, if you I, he kicked Jamie in the in the nuts three times, I believe, right? I think there's something to be said about quality and quantity. One time he kicked them really hard, right? Um, and he added to it with some more quantity. Um, you just right. I'm also an advocate for taking points away, right? I think that if you just keep doing stuff you're not supposed to do, right? If you poke somebody in the eye three times and they're walking around, you know, and they can't see out of their eye, take a point away, right? If someone grabs the fence two times to stop a takedown, take a point away. You know, if we start taking points away, if someone if someone punches someone in the back of the head four times and, you know, they look wobbled because they're getting punched in the back of the head, take a point away. I think if we start taking points away, it would suck in the short term, but I think in the long term we had some guys go, well, maybe I shouldn't poke the opponent in the eye six times um, because I'll get a point taken away, right? I don't think fouls should be given out for mistakes or, like, things that guys do, like, once. Like, if you accidentally do something once, right, obviously don't be giving points away. But I think at a, at a and nutshots are harder because if you're someone who really kicks the body, I understand how that happens, Right. Um, eye pokes are a little less forgiving. Circumstances are circumstantial. Cage grabs, you, what are you what are you doing, right? Um, so I think situations are situational, but also we got to start figuring out some of these fouls. It looks ridiculous when someone watches the sport and someone's just getting eye poked. Have you ever sat in a room and tried to explain to someone the rules and you're like, 
oh, here are the things they can't do. You're like, the there's there's a handful of things you really can't do. You know, you can't punch someone in the back of the head. You can't eye poke someone. You can't eye gouge. You can't fish hook. You can't kick them in the nuts. You can't grab the fence. There's like, there's like less than 10 things you can't do. And somehow we keep running into the same issues of you guys making the same things. And that's not me trying to pick on Tallulah. I could give you 30 fighters that are all idiots when it comes. I shouldn't say idiots, but 30 fighters that all way too often commit fouls. So let's try and clean up that aspect of the sport. I, I hate seeing it. Um, Chris Barnett, great performance against Jake Collier. I believe... I want to say that one fight of the night did it. I don't remember. I really don't. Um, should have. Chris Barnett deserved 50K's, 50K for that. Um, got beat up pretty bad in the first round. Had some moments in the first round. Completely turned it around later in that fight. Um, and then Norma Dumont got a really good decision win over Danielle Wolf. Wolf is not someone that um, I'm particularly high on. She's one and one in MMA, and her one win comes on Contender Series. Um, for the life of me, I cannot remember her. Um, what she did before that, because um, her Contender Series fight was a while ago, and I don't really prep myself on Danielle Wolf repeatedly. But she had some combat sports experience prior to that. Um, so yeah, but still, she's not really that great of a UFC fighter. Um, Lastly, the last, the first, I'm going to be honest, the first three fights on the main card, I did miss because I, I was driving home. So, didn't watch those fights, so I'm not going to sit here and, and lie to you. Um, now, moving on. That was the end of UFC 279. Was it hectic? Yes. That was a, that was a hectic recap of UFC 279. Guess what else was hectic? UFC 279. Um, also, Fairly unorganized recap there, but also, so was UFC 279. Quite unorganized of an event. Um, was there mistakes in that recap? Yes, there was. But just ask Hamza Chumayev, you know, there were some mistakes at UFC 279. So uh, don't, don't, don't hold that against me. Um, we're going to quickly go through next, week, next week's card. Um, there are a lot of fights I like here. I think there's really only one fight... That has like major ranking implications in the main event. Other than that, I think we've got a mixture of fun fighters and Espen Ladd and Sarah McMahon are fighting. Sorry. Um, after that, we've got a mixture of fun fights, fighters, and prospects. Now, quick rundown main event Corey Sand Higgins, Song Dong. If you are a long-time listener of this podcast, and by long time, I mean like years, right? Like episode 20, episode 10, long time. It's a long time ago. Um, you know how much I love Corey Sandhagen. Corey Sandhagen, one of my favorite fighters. Love his fighting style. I think there are at least 20 occasions on this podcast I just ended it by saying, like, hey, can we please book Teach It Dillashaw versus Corey Sandhagen? Like, I was beating my hand on this table at one point, probably saying, book Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. And then I had a mental breakdown on the podcast when that fight got canceled. Not actually, um, but I was fairly upset over that fight getting canceled. But then I had a great time. 
watching the fight because I thought he won. And then I had an, a not-so-great time when they read the decision because T.J. Dillashaw won. Um, whatever. Um, Corey Sandhagen, though, very fun fighter, uses his length and creativity very well. Sung Dong, tough matchup for him. Sung Dong has some really good striking, and I don't know how Corey Sandhagen got screwed with this matchup, right? Everyone else in the top five got to fight, you know, some other notable name, right? Corey Sandhagen could have fought Aldo, right? Hey, hey, who'd you want to see Aldo fight? Marab Devalashvili or Corey Sandhagen? Oh, let me guess. You probably said Corey Sandhagen. Um, once again, not that hard of a question, but somehow the UFC got it wrong. Obviously, we don't know. The behind the scenes, someone could have declined the fight. Someone may not have been ready to fight on a certain date. You know, there's some things that go on behind the scenes. But I think Corey Sandhagen should be fighting someone with a higher rank next to their name. Um, with that being said, I do think Song Yidong is very, very talented. I'm not saying that Song Yidong is a bad fighter. Um, I just don't think Corey Sandhagen should have to be the guy to welcome him back to the elite, or welcome him to the elite portion of that division. Corey Sandhagen is not on the best streak of his career, but I cut him some slack for it, considering when you look at it, we've got... And his, he's 2-3 and three in his last five, but he has a loss to the champion, Aljamain Sterling, who is a terrible stylistic matchup for him. Then he's got a robbery loss against TJ Dillashaw and a loss against Piotr Jan, where he looks fairly good. I think he won one or two rounds of that fight. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. That fight was also fight of the night. Great fight, but my question is how do you go from fighting Pierre Yan to fighting Song Yudong? Beats the heck out of me. Also took that fight on short notice. Um, so I will take Corey Sandhagen in this one. Um, I think he's got more experience against the elite members of that division. I think when you go from fighting a striker like Piotr Yan, I think when you step in there with someone like Song Yudong, I think that task gets a little less daunting. I think just the feel, the feel of being in there and competing with an elite fighter, right? And that was a competition, right? It's not like he got blown out by Piotr. He, he did get fairly beat, but there were competitive elements in that fight where there was some chess match and there were some things going on there. And I think when you had that experience again in, in five total rounds against Piotr Jan, I think that when you're now tasked to fight someone like Song Yudong, I do think that um, you can kind of feel the difference in, in talent and I think that um, that feel is, is beneficial, and I think he will win that fight. Now, Chidi and Jokowani versus Gregory Rodriguez. Great fight. Great fight. Um, who wins this fight? Toss-up. 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 Um, Gregory Rodriguez is someone who I've picked against several times and have been wrong several times. Chidi and Jokowani is someone who I've really liked, picked on, and have been right. Um... It's going to be a very tough fight, but I do lean Chidi and Jokowani. Um, really just a feel. I think his striking is a little bit more dynamic. Um, so I, I expect him to go out there and uh, land some good strikes and win. Andre Feely versus, versus Bill Adelgio. Um, what are we getting out of this fight? I don't know who wins, but I guarantee you it's a fun fight. Um, I'd probably lean Feely, but um, I think that's 
a fairly a 50-50 fight as well. Alan Amandowski fighting Joe Pfeiffer. Joe Pfeiffer. Um, a lot of people really like Joe Pfeiffer. I think Alan Amandowski is a reasonable opponent for his UFC debut. Um, I'm not sitting here saying he's going to, you know, run right through him. But Amandowski has not had the best run in the UFC. So I probably would pick Joe Pfeiffer. Um, but, you know, it's hard picking, you know, for these Dana White Contender Series fights. Because you really get guys who are not UFC caliber or guys who are good enough to get ranked. Um, I don't think we've really done a good job of finding the middle ground on some Dana White Contender Series guys. It seems like we're either getting hot trash or great fighters. Um, what will Joe Pfeiffer be? I think right now I have to lean towards great fighter. Um, so I, I, I would pick him to beat Alan Amandowski. Tanner Boza versus Rodrigo Nascimento. Good opportunity for Nascimento here. Tanner Boza is one of the more well-known um, members of the heavyweight division. He has been ranked. I don't know if he's currently ranked at the moment. Regardless, Tanner Bowser wins against Ovin St. Prue. Philip Linz. He doesn't have very many good wins on his resume. I remember some, some good fights from Tanner Bowser where he looks impressive. Um, losses to Surreal Gan, Andre Olavsky, and Elir Latifi um, in the UFC. Um, wins against not great fighters. Ovin St. Preux, good fighter, but I don't think he's a heavyweight. He's a, he's a light heavyweight. Um, Felipe Lins is probably the best name on his resume. But Tanner Bowser, not a bad fighter because of that. Um, Rodrigo Nascimento, last fight was a no contest to Alan Bado. I believe, I don't remember exactly why that was a no contest, but in the actual fight, he beat Bado, um, lost to Chris Dawkins. Has won every other fight. Um, Eileen Nascimento, but um, I'll probably watch more film on that one. Mark Andre Barriott versus Anthony Hernandez. Great fight. Great fight. Great fight. Are these two guys ever going to be super highly ranked? No. But will they give you a fun fight on the prelim of a fight night? The answer to that question is yes. Um... Eileen Anthony Hernandez. Uh, Damon Jackson versus Pat Sabatini. Another really good fight. Um, both of these guys have shown things that I've liked. I will lean Pat Sabatini. Very um, very well-rounded fighter with some, with some good striking as well. I will take Pat Sabatini. Trevin Giles versus Luis Cosi. Um... I'm not really too super high on either of these guys. Um, I guess I'll lean Kosi, but I'm not like blown away by him. Somehow Aspen Ladd and Sarah McMahon are on the prelims according to Tapology. Hey, let's ask ourselves, how come nobody cares about women's MMA? Oh, wow. We bury all the ranked fights on prelims over non-ranked fights in other divisions. Oh, reasonable. I understand why nobody watches them, because the UFC doesn't promote their fights. Same thing can also be said for 
flyweights. Why do we have top 10 flyweights fighting on prelims of pay-per-views when there are non-ranked opponents on the main card? I don't know. I wish I could order. If the UFC ever had me do one job, I could just order the cards, and I promise you 10 out of 10 times, I get the best bout order for the card possible that makes the card entertaining and also makes, you know, that helps you promote the fighters you're looking to promote. I think that is the one job for the UFC that I could do very well um, at. I don't think I'd be a terrible matchmaker either. I think I could do that job, but um, I, I don't know that it'd be a home run at it. I guarantee you I'd be a home run at ordering fight cards. The UFC can email me on Mondays, and I'll, and I'll get them my, uh, my bout order by the end of the day. I think it'd be, they can throw me like, I don't know, 50 bucks or something. I'd probably be willing to do it. 50 bucks a week. I get to order the fight cards. Sounds like a fair deal. Um, moving on, moving on. Um, oh, Aspen Ladd versus Serving Man. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there. Um, I'll lean Aspen Ladd. And... This podcast has gone way too long, way too long. Um, we're going to quickly go through the rest of these. Um, give me Denise Gomez in the next fight. Give me Daniel Zellhuber in the next fight. Give me Marina Agapova in the fight after that. Give me Javid Bashart in the fight after that. Give me Nicholas Mata over Cameron Van Camp. Close fight. Those are subject to change. If you really care who I pick that much, follow me on Tapology or you know look at my Tapology predictions. I believe they're public. You know, if you're that interested, you can go find them. Um, sometimes I change them after I watch more fights and do more research. That's why the pay-per-view previews are usually on Fridays. Um, I've said that a thousand times, but um, I like to keep throwing it out there. Now, anyways, this episode is either one of the worst episodes I've ever recorded or it's one of the best episodes I've ever recorded. I don't know. I really don't. Um... If you want more incoherent rambling of me just talking about random points about the fights um, with less structure, let me know. I can do that. That's probably easier. If you want more organization, let me know. That's slightly more difficult, but not too difficult. I should probably be doing that. Um, regardless, either way, um, I've talked for about an hour, and so it's time to depart. Um, regardless... Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Head Kick Hail podcast. I hope to see you next week. Oh! He kicked him in the face! Kevin Lee with the ultimate oh!